Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Our Two Cents with MBA. I'm Jackson Hathaway, Executive Vice President of Member Services, and we're glad you can join us. In this episode of the podcast, we met with the ABA's Office of Innovation. Specifically, we met with Rob Morgan, Brooke Ibarra, and Matt Daigler. This team has been charged with exploring what innovation means for banks in the modern financial services environment. That includes ensuring that legislation and regulatory guidance are appropriate for the kinds of efforts banks must undertake, while also protecting the safety and soundness of our industry from third-party intermediaries. It also means providing more assets and content to banks attempting to find their way in the digital banking environment. The topics in this interview are wide-ranging. We cover the kinds of partnerships that banks are exploring, what's happening on the stablecoin and, broadly speaking, cryptocurrency or digital assets front, and what kinds of innovation laboratories the ABA is considering moving forward to help banks as they explore new opportunities in digital spaces. So we ask you to listen to this interview with two frames of reference in mind. First, what kinds of digital undertakings is your bank likely to tackle in the next several years, and what kinds of support or partnership will be critical to those efforts? And second, what kinds of regulatory or legislative priorities should we and the ABA be pursuing to either enhance your innovation efforts or to ensure that our industry is protected and preserved from outside entities that may or may not offer the same level of soundness and security to banking services that we as an industry have preserved for years? So with that, please enjoy this interview with the ABA's Office of Innovation. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks so much, Jackson. Really appreciate you having us and the opportunity to be here with you today. Um, I will start, just do a quick introduction and then turn to uh, Matt and Brooke. Uh, my name is Rob Morgan. Um, I have been at ABA by far the longest. Um, I've been at ABA about 10 years now working on innovation issues uh, and uh, helped stand up the, our new Office of Innovation. The idea behind the office is really to pull together all of the work that ABA is doing on innovation, both from a public policy and advocacy standpoint, but also from a product and strategy standpoint, helping our members understand what's happening in the marketplace. So we'll talk a little bit more about everything that we're doing in that space. But before we do, uh, let me hand it over to, to Matt and Brooke to introduce themselves and, and what, they, uh, what background they bring to this discussion, because it's all, all very impressive. Thanks, Rob. Um, my name is Matthew Daigler. I joined the ABA a little earlier in 2021. Um, I come most recently from the CFTC where I worked in the chairman's office. I have a general regulatory background. I work more on the policy side of the office as opposed to the business strategy side. Um, and I'm looking forward to this podcast today. Thanks. Yeah, and thanks. Um, I'm Brooke Ibarra. I joined the ABA's Office of Innovation most recently, late this summer, um, but have a background in the electronic payments industry. I was a strategy consultant with First Annapolis Consulting and then Accenture. Um, and yeah, thrilled to be here. I'm supporting more the um, product and market side, kind of what we term strategy here in the Office of Innovation, um, focused on member education as well as market outreach. And maybe just to give a little bit more background on, on what the Office of Innovation is, what we do uh, day to day, uh, happy to just sort of walk through sort of the major, uh, the major work that we're doing. And really, uh, there are a lot more people at ABA who aren't on the call today who are helping drive innovation. It is a topic that touches everything we do today. Um, and the goal of the office is not to sort of pull that all into one place, but make sure we're connecting the dots across everything that we do uh, to support innovation. Uh, and 
from our perspective, we are really doing three major things uh, to help facilitate that. Uh, the first is on the advocacy side. Uh, that is all the blocking and tackling you would expect us to be doing in Washington. Uh, we think about this in terms of offense and defense. Uh, in, when, in terms of offense, we are looking for areas where we can provide regulatory and legal clarity that allow our banks to adopt new technology, new business models to make sure we remain competitive. At the same time, we are making sure that unlevel playing fields don't develop, particularly as we've seen these new markets evolve. There are all sorts of new business models that fall between the regulatory cracks, as it were. So making sure that we don't, as an industry, face new advantaged competitors. The second main piece of what we do is, as Brooke mentioned, what, we've, what we're thinking of as strategy. How do we partner with our member banks to help them understand what is happening in the innovation ecosystem? What are the fintech companies doing? How are the big tech companies responding? And how do banks competitively position themselves in this market? Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this, but we've put out a series of reports trying to identify markets that are important to community bank innovation and have begun identifying startups in each of those markets that we think can help banks execute on that strategy. Uh, the third piece of what we do is a little bit different than what you've heard trade associations do in the past, and that is actually engaging in direct venture capital investing, both as a direct investor in startups as well as an investor in funds. And the idea here is to help signal to the ecosystem and promote bank-friendly technologies. And what we saw in the first generation of fintech were a group of really smart people who wanted to change banking who had never been inside a bank, who'd never worked at a bank. And so naturally, there were a suite of competitive solutions. Our goal in engaging in this space is to help connect bright entrepreneurs with the problems that banks face so that they are focused on solving our industry's problems, not competing with us. Um, and so happy to dive a little bit more into all of those. But before we did, wanted to give you a high level overview of everything we're working on today. Thank you. And, and that's all, I think, exactly across the plate for where we hope this conversation will go, largely because, um, you know, as we think about the last two years in particular, the, the, the drive for innovation certainly was already high, but then just got amplified by COVID and the restrictions that were placed on businesses and on consumers. And so um, I think your office and just the idea of innovation and financial services in general suddenly took on yet another, um, I don't know, uptick exponentially in the pace and rate at which people were talking, thinking, acting. And so I can't imagine, just generally speaking, how much stuff you're doing on a daily basis to try to stay on top of it all, because it is a daunting task to say the least. Um, and when we, you know, when we matriculated out to our individual banks here in, say, Missouri, where we're not on the coastlines, you know, we have far more rural areas than we have metro, but we do have larger metros. This topic gets very convoluted. All of the topics you've mentioned get very convoluted very quickly. And I really appreciated points two and three that you made. The advocacy, of course, is critically important, but the thought of kind of parsing through the landscape, finding ways to drive the kinds of value uh, that we want to see out of fintech partners versus competitors, all of those are very big topics amongst our member banks. But they get really intimidated by the concept of fintech in general and what innovation actually means. And when we ask them, how do you bucket investments or how do you think about your strategy, they get kind of all over the map with what they're trying to do. So I'm curious from your landscape, 
What are the priorities that you're seeing take shape for banks? How are you defining innovation in your office and at ABA right now, given how broad this topic can be? Yeah, thanks for the question, Jackson. I think you're exactly right, of course. It is broad. And I would say at the ABA, we think of innovation broadly as well. You know, what are the collection of technologies and products and services that can enable banks to stay competitive in this rapidly evolving market. You know, that's how I would define innovation as we think of it. But but your point is exactly right. From, from a community bank standpoint, you know, how can they categorize and break up um, this vast industry and, and all take in all of these changes that are going on. And, you know, I know we'll talk about cryptocurrency, I think, a little later in this conversation, but that's on everybody's mind right now, too, as well. And, and it has a tendency to suck all the oxygen out of the room, I think, right, and dominate a conversation where it's it's just a hot topic right now. And, and the regulators are looking at it. Congress is looking at it. But that aside, there is a lot of technology, technology advancement taking place in the industry. And, you know, I think we would look at it, you could look at it based on your customers, right? What is the set of technologies impacting SMB versus general consumers? And so that's one lens to help just break down into more manageable pieces um, the different innovations. You know, another is just to look at the bank organization. And I think that's probably one of the most helpful lenses for banks to approach it by. So what's taking place in lending? What's taking place in deposits? What's taking place in the interaction between customers and the bank, whether that's, you know, chat box or your, um, your mobile app or your website, you know, all of those kind of activity-driven approach to um, to thinking about breaking up innovation, I think are really key. And um, that's kind of how we're organizing some of our reports that Rob mentioned. So we did one on the state of digital lending, um, which is available on our website, would encourage everyone to give it a read. Um, you know, next we'll be looking at uh, SMB, small medium business technologies outside of the digital lending space. So we'll ha- we're, you know, one of our objectives, I think, is to put into more bite-sized pieces um, some of these innovations that that banks can take a look at. And I want to amplify the the usefulness of those reports that your office is producing. I thought the digital lending report was really, really good. And we'll be looking forward to the SMB uh, tech. You know, a lot of our a lot of our banks here in the state found that during COVID in particular, um, if they say had 80 percent market share where they were located, you know, they were struggling thinking about growth. What's next? How do we get to a new market? Is it acquisition time or be acquired time and suddenly switching on new technologies? or finding new partners has opened up opportunities for lines of business and services that previously they may have thought were out of reality for the bank. And so to your point, the more I think that the Office of Innovation and other resources are able to kind of be deployed or put out there, the better the decision making is for institutions like we have here in Missouri, uh, whether they're in urban or rural areas and their plans for what growth looks like. But all of that comes with tripping points, you know, and I know that you get lots and lots of questions from lots and lots of banks and, and you don't have to answer these in any particular level of technical detail. But I am just kind of curious, you know, what do you hear as common questions or or what are some best practices you're seeing as high performing banks try to address these topics and find ways around the roadblocks? Are there any practices you could recommend? Because, you know, that's what every bank is looking for. What's the next thing I need to do? But anything you would say is kind of words of wisdom for those banks that are are really starting to feel like they can make some moves. Yeah, it's a great question. And so and I think, 
you know, some of what we hear in terms of obstacles you know, has to do with the, um, the, the dependency and of, of the cores on, on our community banks, right? And so, you know, needing to think through how uh, a new solution or a new partner might be integrated with a process that's quite frankly out of a community bank's control in many ways. Uh, you know, there's a third party whatever the core is that needs to be um, involved and help facilitate that integration um, certainly adds um, adds complexity. And so I think you know, having those conversations with your cores, um, you know, really working towards a roadmap of what innovations and what products or technologies that a bank wants to um, to you know, seek to enable over time, and and just ensuring that that everyone's on the same page, um, both within the bank, with the core, with the key vendor partners that the bank is working with, you know, so that resources can be allocated, um, you know, at the right time to the right projects. I'm sure that sounds like a, a really high level response, and I, I I recognize that it is, but I do think that that's foundational um, in order to uh, you know get on the path towards implementing these technologies. I, you know, I think it's good advice, though, and, and we certainly even lately have heard from banks where not everyone was on the same page as they tried to march forward with um, whether it's a, a front office or a back office um, new partnership or or turning on even a solution maybe from an existing vendor that wasn't quite as seamlessly integrated or um, procedurally mapped out as it could have been. Um, that one limitation, not having everyone on the same page, even internally at the bank is a huge constriction on the ability to actually carry innovation forward. So I, I think it's the kind of thing that we may say in our industry, everyone needs to be on the same page, but when you're really dialing into the ones and zeros of switching on partners or selecting opportunities, it is it is becoming objectively just true um, from vendor management all the way, or I guess vendor selection all the way through vendor management, that the cores, the partners, and the people inside the bank have to be aligned around it or you will inevitably um, hit a lot of roadblocks that per perhaps you could avoid if if you were able to at least think about them together. Absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned the the cores and and the kinds of roadblocks those represent. You know, everybody knows that there is an endless need for innovation, and at the same time, we're built on certain platforms and technologies that are are somewhat maybe more um, difficult to overcome than we'd like them to be. And on that same kind of note of difficult to overcome, there is a lot of complex regulatory stuff out there, um, or in some cases, no regulation where perhaps we'd like regulation. You know, you mentioned this, Rob, as the first pillar of what the Office of Innovation is doing. It's advocacy. It's thinking through um, what kinds of things from an offensive and defensive perspective, as you said, that we need to be doing for our industry. I'd like to know how you are engaging right now with regulators and legislators, because this is incredibly complex stuff, and some of them have deep expertise, but some obviously don't, and that's understandable. Um, you know, whether it's non-bank non entrance, third parties, cryptocurrency, the, the, the topic of conversation at every cocktail party, uh, what are you doing as you kind of march forward on the advocacy front or, or engaging perhaps better with regulators and legislators? Hey, Jackson, I'll, I'll be happy to, to answer that question. That's a really good good question. I mean, one of the chief responsibilities in the Office of Innovation is to engage with policymakers to promote a regulatory environment that facilitates responsible innovation by banks. This is kind of one of our core duties. This means looking for regulatory clarity that will allow banks to apply new technologies to their core businesses and ensure consistent regulation for banks and non-banks when they engage in similar activities. 
So in our office, we, we cover a wide range of policy issues relating to financial innovation, from the regulation of digital assets like cryptocurrencies and stable coins, to the use of artificial intelligence and machine learning, to the creation of novel bank charters. All of this comes in uh, within our purview, and we have uh, uh, engaged in advocacy efforts in each of these different areas. I'm just going to talk about a, a couple of them very briefly and happy to answer any additional questions. But let, let me start by describing some of our advocacy efforts in the digital asset space. And here I'm using the term digital asset very broadly to include cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, stable coins like Tether, non-fungible tokens, and central bank digital currencies. Policymakers have been actively and closely following developments in this space. There have been hearings uh, in the House and the Senate recently on digital assets and stable coins as legislators try to get a handle on this rapidly developing space. And this is not surprising given the rapid growth of digital assets. I think the market capitalization of, of all digital assets reached over $3 trillion in November, though it took a bit of a hit uh, in the last few weeks, which just shows the volatility uh, of this market. Regulators are watching this, this space very closely as well. For example, last summer, the FDIC issued a request for information seeking comment on how banks are, 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 are engaged in the digital asset space. What, what are their current and potential activities relating to cryptocurrencies and stablecoins? Um, with the help of a, a group of bankers that we formed, um, we submitted a comment letter to the FDIC in which we recognized that banks are actively evaluating ways to safely and responsibly allow their customers to buy, hold, and sell digital assets through their existing banking relationships. And this is somewhat ironic given the origins of Bitcoin, where uh, the whole goal was to get rid of the kind of the, the, the trusted intermediary in the middle and, and just allow people to engage in peer-to-peer -peer transactions. So, but in fact, people actually want to hold their digital assets in banks if given the choice. Um, but more clarification still needed from regulators for banks to become fully engaged in this digital asset space, including guidance regarding what digital asset activity is permissible for a bank. And I think also uh, there needs to be guidance regarding what is the legal classification of different kinds of digital assets? Are they securities? Are they commodities? Are they some kind of money, currency? property, what are they? Um, and I'll just touch on one other issue um, uh, that I think is important to our office and in the ABA, and it's something that banks have been grappling with, uh, particularly in the last couple of years, and that is artificial intelligence. Um, recently, five U.S. federal financial regulators, including the CFPB, issued a request for information regarding how banks are using artificial intelligence in their businesses, and what are the potential risks and benefits? With the help of a group of bankers, we submitted a comment letter in which we recognize that AI or artificial intelligence holds tremendous opportunity to make financial services safer, more convenient, and more inclusive. For example, just to take one example, AI can help improve credit decisions by looking to a wider range of data to evaluate the creditworthiness of borrowers. The important thing to understand is that AI is a technology like any other technology. It facilitates or enables certain activities, but does little to change the underlying nature of those activities. So we believe that banks are highly regulated and supervised, and that existing regulation and examination procedures well capture the risks of using AI and, and machine learning. 
So we don't believe that new regulations are necessary or warranted to address AI specifically. However, again, we see a place where regulators can uh, should consider areas where they can clarify existing regulations and supervisory guidance to address the risks and opportunities associated with AI and related technologies. This will help ensure that banks can continue to provide innovative financial services to consumers and communities in a safe and responsible manner. And I'll just close this last this, this bit by saying that, you know, because innovation is happening at both banks and non-banks alike, we believe regulators should ensure that rules are applied consistently to ensure that consumers remain protected wherever they choose to receive their financial services. Now, there are hundreds of bankers listening to this podcast, or hopefully will be listening to this podcast, applauding that last line. Uh, equal implementation of regulation across banks and non-bank entities is certainly uh, an area I think everybody in, the, in our world is uh, a fan of and would applaud. And I think that, um, you know, to call out two things, number one, for our, our group of bankers out there that are into the AI ML uh, conversations, there are a number of them that, that I think would agree that the most important thing is really the regulatory clarity on how those tools can be deployed, updating and modernizing uh, the regulations to map to what's going to be deployed, and knowing that it's about a lot of securitization and soundness and those kinds of things. Um, so for those more interested in this topic, feel free to reach out to the ABA Office of Innovation to hear more about how they are pursuing those kinds of initiatives, because it it is a critical one, but one that I think has gotten hidden a little bit lately behind the cryptocurrency and stablecoin conversations that have been dominating so much of, of what we're talking about. So thank you for those points. And um, I'd also make a pitch for everyone, if you haven't uh, had a chance to go check it out, go check out the Senate Banking uh, Committee hearing this week on stable coins. You get a real sense for where the differences in perspective currently exist uh, on both sides of the aisle for what these, um, uh, to your point, Matt, kind of unclassified assets at this point represent or could represent for the future of financial services. On that note, you know, we do, it, it's hard not to take the air out of the room by talking about cryptocurrency and stable coins. And there was a hearing very recently, and, and you've touched a good bit on digital assets in terms of the breadth of, of ways we can look at them, the potential volatility, if they're unpegged, if they are, then, um, you know, how valid is that, that touch to a particular currency? Um, then you have NFTs and, and all this stuff. But, you know, it, again, as we talk to our banks around the area, their, their kind of biggest concern is, what happens if the federal government decides it wants to issue its own cryptocurrency? And I know there was some back and forth on that. There was a little bit of disagreement at the Fed about whether that's a relevant conversation, not a relevant conversation, um, something that we're already doing because the dollar is largely digital, something we need to investigate. Otherwise, other countries who are already doing it will, will start to eat away at our particular area of, of global leadership. Uh, any information, any updates on the CBDC conversation or or more in generally about where cryptocurrency discussions are going? Yeah, Jackson, you, you're quite right. You know, central bank digital currencies are, are what they're called CBDCs. It's a concept being explored by central banks around the world, including the U.S. Uh, Federal Reserve. It's, it's an effort to digitize traditional fiat currency. Or I, I should probably say further digitize the U.S. dollar because it's already largely digital today. I rarely use cash. I use credit cards. I use uh, Venmo card. Uh, a lot of a lot of what goes on today is in the digital space. But a CBDC would just take it one step further. Uh, and policymakers are considering the, the the potential opportunities of a CBDC. 
but also the risks of uh, associated with issuing a central bank digital currency. I think there's a growing recognition that central bank digital currencies involve significant and challenging real world trade-offs. So we talked about, I, I talked about a little bit cryptocurrencies. I mentioned stable coins, you mentioned stable coins. Those are privately issued. A central bank digital currency would be government issued. So other, unlike other digital assets, CBDCs are a central bank liability that would carry full currency status. And, and you know, we've seen a lot of interest in among legislators uh, uh, in, in central bank digital currencies, both the left and the right uh, have, uh, have found uh, uh, supporters for central bank digital currencies, but often for different reasons. Sometimes people point to uh, financial inclusion as a motivation for creating the central bank digital currency. Others talk about international competitiveness. Um, but when we've talked with bankers about central bank dis digital currency and we kind of review the different design choices, you know, we've been concerned that introducing the CBDC into the US could have serious consequences for the banking system. And I'm just going to point to one here. There, there are other considerations, but, but the most significant, I think, is that a central bank digital currency will take money that's currently held on bank balance sheets and place it directly on that of the Federal Reserve. But, you know, taking deposits out of the banking system could restrict access to credit and make lending more expensive. This will dramatically and, and immediately affect uh, consumers and the communities that banks serve. Um, you know, in, uh, central bank digital currencies, as I said, they're, they're, uh, there's a growing interest throughout the world uh, in creating them. It's unclear right now whether in an advanced economy and banking system like the United States, they will really achieve uh, the policy goals that they're intended to achieve or whether they're the least expensive way of doing so. Yeah, thank you. That's a really nice primer on A, how these things differ, CBDCs potentially differ from uh, the way we think about cryptocurrency and even the way they started, as you pointed out, uh, with Bitcoin and DeFi and living in their own space and, and where this could be going. So uh, expect more from ABA and from MBA. We share that position in particular that, that removing those deposits from bank books and moving them to the federal uh, books could very much restrict access to credit, make it more challenging to lend, more expensive to lend. I think you're you're spot on. Uh, and we're certainly going to be watching that issue co closely in partnership with our colleagues at the ABA. Well, and on that that front, I know that generally what you're hoping to do is arm banks with intelligence and resources. Um, we've talked about a variety of different topics here. And Brooke, you kind of indicated what's a little bit on the roadmap. You know, we have the digital lending report. There'll be SMB. Rob, you spoke a little bit to maybe direct or venture capital investment by ABA to help guide that industry or the, the fintech world in a direction that's helpful to banks rather than competitive. What are you seeing on your roadmap? What kinds of, of, of deliverables or direction do you think banks should know about out there in Missouri banking land uh, to be looking for? Yeah, Jackson, thanks. I'll start here and Rob, feel free, of course, to jump in. So in addition to what, what you already just mentioned, you know, another thing on our roadmap that we're really excited about, it's in early stages now, but is building out what we think can be an innovation lab. So, you know, part of what I do every day is talking to different startups and different fintechs that are that are in the market, right? And are looking for feedback from banks, looking for banks to partner with. And then also, of course, we're constantly um, talking to our members, our bank members that um, 
that are trying to understand the latest uh, fintech technology that's out there. Um, and so we're really excited to begin work on an innovation lab, you know, some way that can help bring together um, those two uh, those two stakeholder groups, the fintechs and the community banks, um, you know, in a way to just facilitate engagement and partnership and, you know, lots of details still to be worked out, but please stay tuned um, for, for more to come there in addition, of course, to the reports and the investment side. Yeah, thanks, Jackson. And I'll just add a couple of things, Brooke. Uh, obviously, that's something we're really excited about. Um, thank you for previewing both the reports and that. Um, you know, I think the common theme here and what you're going to see generally from us is finding ways to help the banking industry connect in with startups that we think have potential to help their business and help them remain competitive. So, you know, as we talk about those reports, those aren't just sort of your standard consulting reports on here's how the market is changing, hire us to figure out how. Uh, one of the things that we've done uh, that is novel in those reports is identify some of the promising startups in the space. So both that, the innovation lab and the venture work that we're doing is all designed to create interaction with the startups that are trying to change banking, hopefully for the better. Uh, so look for for a number of those. And I think that cuts across a lot of both the policy discussions we've had today, as well as the strategy ones. Obviously, uh, the way consumers are connecting in with their financial institution is very different today. Uh, and the ability to maintain that relationship in a digital era, whether it is in cryptocurrency and as a bank, I see my customers starting to engage in, in this asset class. How do I stay engaged with them while they do that? whether it's digital lending or even sort of how are my small business customers engaging, uh, we're looking at all of those fronts. So uh, keep an eye out for all sorts of ways uh, that we are working to connect our banks in with, with some of the latest and greatest in terms of startups in the space. That's wonderful and extremely exciting to hear. Um, the innovation lab, the, the idea that these <laughs> kinds of landscape style reports, Rob, that you, you very eloquently described as historically coming out of consulting firms that then you know, want your business rather than direct you maybe towards opportunities or startups. I think those are all the kinds of assets, uh, or rather that represents an asset classification or a, a deliverable classification that certainly our banks around the state would be interested in and, and that we can't encourage them enough to go uh, peruse as they become available. So thank you all very much for your time and for uh, the conversation with us today. You know, we look forward to, uh, again, a strong partnership moving forward and finding ways to help banks in what is a very dynamic time in the financial services industry. Are there any other thoughts you want to close out with? Uh, you can reach any of us by email. Uh, I am rmorgan at aba.com. And I'm B. Ibarra at aba.com. And I'm M. Daigler at aba.com. So please reach out. We love talking about these issues uh, and hope to connect with uh, with all of the uh, the Missouri bankers out there. Fantastic. Thank you all very much. And we'll look forward to talking with you again soon.